Oh great, another Snideful production. Already yawning. Wake up. Let's get into the show then. Help me eat these smarties. Hmm. Riveting audio. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, before we can get into the crossing of the return threshold, we have to do a flashback. We're flashing back to pre the fall. That's right. Ancient times. I was thinking we'll be in uh, some kind of heavenly facility. Oh, should we like camp it up and make this like a retro shoot and everybody's in like 70s clothes? <laughs> everybody's got oh. like mop mop haircuts and porn stashes, even though this is like ancient, ancient times, but we're making the joke <laughs> that it's retro. <laughs> it turns out that the fashion of the 70s wasn't as <laughs> yeah, forward thinking as they thought it was. It was actually <laughs> just a rehash of ancient times. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm into it. Absolutely. Somebody's got a bowler hat. Nobody, somebody's got a monocle. Why? They're just, maybe they have fashions from all throughout history. Oh, yeah. Oh, is, is they're having a, uh, what are the fashions of history party? Or are they just, is that just how they dress? And then the fashions that actually developed throughout history are all because of them. I guess so. I don't know. I don't Wherever know. the joke goes, the joke needs to figure out what it is and then um, pick a lane. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we'll stick with uh, 70s period piece looking stuff. It's like, oh, I, I forgot. Oh, it's Boogie Nights. It's Magnum P.I. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got short shorts and Hawaiian shirts. And a thick mustache. Yeah. <laughs> and aviators. All right, so we've established that Abaddon's sort of architectural style is like black metal and stone with red strip lights. And I was thinking yeah. heaven would probably be the exact opposite of that. Probably nice white marble looking stuff. Yeah. Maybe with some gold trim marble somewhere. Marble and gold. Yeah. And like and like blue, white, bluey white, like crystal clear water looking strip lights. But nothing nothing like bright enough that it's an eyesore to look at. Everything is comfortable soft soft lights but sterile in fact so it's like a brand new state-of-the-art hospital looking place everything is sterile Hmm. no ambient sound oh yeah heaven is quiet until we hear the footsteps of plato on his way to basil bub's office clink clank clink clank clink clank take off your goddamn platforms plato (laughs) isn't that 60s i mean things cross over Somebody choose him out for being so last millennium. Get with the times, Plato. We're wearing clogs now. Somebody, Somebody's like, you're so 2000 and late. And everybody else goes, huh? 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 You're so 15. <laughs> you're so negative 2020. You're so before the common era. You're so before we started even counting time. I guess they don't. Yeah, I guess not. Anyways, Plato is on his way to Basil Bub's office. I was thinking that Plato's apprentice, Aristotle, is listening from the hallway. So he's listening eavesdropping. to their conversation. Oh, yeah, he, he's, Aristotle he's, is eavesdropping on... On Plato working his corruption on Basilbub. 
Oh, this is the moment when he starts to feel uncomfortable with, or is this before? This, this is. I'm thinking this is like a stage one of uh, discovering how, how Aristotle or how Plato loses Aristotle's faith. Okay. Okay. Yep. Because Aristotle's not a traitor. No. He's not a traitor, and he's not an extremist. And Plato is encouraging Basilbub now to start questioning and going against the god computer's wishes because Basilbub is already, you know, part machine, part living tissue kind of thing. He's a cyborg already. Right. And Plato, as we've been establishing, is obsessed with flesh. It's more malleable than machine. So does Basilbub have any interest in flesh or is 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 he more tempted by the um what the the feats that flesh can obtain or that I are think I think Plato's blowing a bunch of smoke up his ass and stoking the flames of pride. He he's getting Basilbub to think that as a, a being of at least partial flesh, he's superior to the god computer. Right, okay. Why shouldn't you be in charge? You're more than the god computer is. I made you more. What? Yeah, that's interesting. Have we said what Basilbub was or what his role was in heaven? No, but I I think we kind of just made all the angels just the sort of caretakers of real space. The right. god computer's creation. But obviously Basilbub is like ambitious or something. Yeah, he's ambitious. He's demonstrated a desire to rise in the ranks. Yeah, he likes being in charge. And he is in charge of a lot of stuff. I mean, because he's one of the higher levels of Angel. But yeah. more, 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 more. Plato is stoking the fan of more. So should stuff it... that uh, Basilbub probably didn't even consider before is now on his mind. So when Plato is arriving to Basilbub's office, because that's the way that we're going, right? Yeah, um... probably, probably showing like the hallway. The empty hallway just kind of pristine and heavenly. And then you hear the footsteps as Plato goes by. And then the camera picks up and follows him as soon as he goes down the hall all the way to this office. It can it can close. And then we can see on the door it's got, you know, Basil Bub's nameplate. And then we can get inside of the room and, and witness their conversation directly. Okay, so the conversation that we join up in then, we should establish a little bit of Basilbub at least having some sort of honor and establish that he's sort of like high ranking. So maybe he's finishing up an audience with some uh, some of his uh, underlings and he dismisses them or maybe, some, I'm not sure, just to, to demonstrate that he is... Um, has that he's important of, in the command structure. Yeah, and and like and respected, and not just like uh, a always a villain who's ready to be a villain. Yeah, he and of course his office is heavenly and everything, and he doesn't have all the evil aesthetics that he's going to have later. Exactly. Yeah. So he he looks important. He'll be. He has hair. He'll he'll have hair. He hasn't <laughs> gone evil and bald yet. <laughs> he's not a bald cunt. Uh, he'll have a nice. I think maybe we'll give him a cool admiral uniform. So he's got cute little epaulets on his shoulders yeah. and he's going to look relatively in charge. I think it is a, a good idea. Maybe he has two underlings in there, uh, lesser angels that he dismisses once Plato arrives. Yeah, like amicably show him like being smile and, and congenial with his uh, his staff. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe he goes full buddy Christ with them. <laughs> clapping them on the back and whatnot yeah and like uh giving them you know like a quick 
catchphrase sort of pep talk catchphrase. I'm imagining. Um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. Uh, er, Clooney. I'm thinking Clooney charisma. Oh yeah. As for the catchphrase, I was. I can't. I want to capture the uh, the sort of fun energy, the self indul self indulgent energy that Lucifer had in uh, Supernatural when he was in heaven while occupying Castiel's body, and he he uh, said to one of the angel underlings, he said, "He who hesitates disintegrates," and uh, just that kind of energy. Of course, not a th not a veiled threat like that. No, but he's jokey. But yeah, yeah, he's jokey. He he creates a sort of lighthearted energy in the atmosphere. He's not a crabby boss. He's fun. He's nice. He's likable. Where do I so, recognize? So as these on? guys are as these guys are walking out of there, he'll yeah, clap him on the back and say, Yeah, some kind of uh platitude motto that of course it's the dawn of time, so it's not a platitude yet, hasn't been overused yet. So he's like, Peace be with you <laughs> and also with you. And the, the two underlings are going to walk out and see Aristotle and they they share a glance and then they go the other direction from I the know. side of the hallway that Aristotle's standing in. I never watched Supernatural, but I'm trying to figure out where I recognize this Lucifer guy from. I have no idea. Was he in The Shield? Oh, gosh, he might have been. Oh, he was in Lost. Oh, he was Jacob in Lost. That's what I recognize him from. Okay. And he was in Dexter as well. Why am I so man. sure he was in the shield? Because he looks I... like one of the guys. He looks like the guy that got blown up with a grenade. Was that Lemonhead? <laughs> Lemonhead. Was it Lemmy who got blown up by a grenade? I don't know. Lemmy from Motorhead? No. Lemmy from the shield. I didn't watch the shield enough. Curtis Lemansky. That's the guy that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. But that's not the guy. Okay. That's funny. Lemonhead. Usually known simply as Lem. I would like to watch The Shield again. It was a wild ride. So, speaking of wild rides, yeah. two two angels just left Basil Bub's office, closing the door behind them. They go down the opposite side of the hallway than the one Aristotle is standing on, eavesdropping. It either Pla either Plato and Aristotle walked there together, and Aristotle is just sort of his escort, his guy, or Aristotle followed him clandestinely and is now listening in. Mm. I think when showing Plato. I think showing Plato arriving alone might be more impactful. Yeah, but, yeah, I think that is more impactful. But that means Aristotle has reason to be suspicious already. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. You could do that thing where, as he's heading in, he could say, "You go this way and do follow these orders or whatever." And you could see as he goes in, Aristotle give like a, a, a look of grim determination and then not go the the way that he was just told to. Ah. Or you could have him sneaking around and following him. Because when you said the first one, I do like that just because I imagine parodying um, at the Phantom Menace beginning. Yeah. And I mean, Aristotle is still his apprentice. Yeah. So they'll go places together. Right. So I suppose, yeah, actually, let's get an establishing shot of them together. And Aristotle even calls Plato master. Right. Yeah. With he has um, Ewan McGregor's accent. Yeah. Of course, Master. And then he goes, <laughs> and then Obi-Wan goes and has a meeting with Darth Vader. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though technically Darth Vader is Obi-Wan's apprentice, the, I guess technically he's going he's gonna to go be the Emperor instead of being Obi-Wan and corrupt right. this guy. Yeah, mixed metaphors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've successfully confused myself. 
Okay, so Plato sends Aristotle on an errand. Aristotle hesitates and sticks around and listens in. Maybe it starts as curiosity and then it becomes concern as he listens because Plato's talking some seditious shit. Mm. Do we do like voiceover inner monologue or try to show and t- or try to show as much as I possible? suppose we can we can we can always do cuts back out to the hallway and just show Aristotle's kind of expression. And there's always room for like thought bubbles that show little images. Mm, yeah. They're, those are always cute. That, yeah, that would have been impressive when we were first trying to come up with it. But now, actually, I was going to say it would have been, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It would have been a necessity when we were, when we were initially trying to use puppets and whatnot. But now it's like a, a cool flex. <laughs> yeah. Thought bubbles it's, appearing. It's just fun. Yeah. It's just a toy now. Yes, there's there's Plato saying you're so you're so spectacular and great. Truly the the pinnacle of the god computer's creations. If anything, you've you've even exceeded her. And yet for some reason, everyone she's discussing for promotions includes not you or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Sowing the seeds of dissent. Mhm. Cuz at first, Basilbub is probably a bit offended that that uh, Plato would even compare him to the God Computer until he mentions how the God Computer has assigned Basilbub to like some task that is apparently beneath him and isn't giving him the best assignments or you know new promotions. Mm-mm. When was it that you applied for your current position? I never did. Oh, that's right. And tell me, the last job you had, whose idea was that? <laughs> You start, yep, just like kind of chipping away at it, picking Taking at down it. the path. He's oddly Socratic. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. I wonder where he learned it from. One day we're gonna have to meet Socrates. That's interesting. I've thought about that. Yeah, he's the hermit's hermit. <laughs> I I have to assume Plato deleted him or something. Well, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> One day we'll discover like a a, oh. a a backup in stasis. Yeah, I was going to say we go into the recycle bin and find the restore file. Yeah, it's just like a little digital backup of Socrates. So it's like a an AI hologram file of him. Well, this, is, this just makes me think of Harry Potter 4. Uh, Moody in the in the in the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you could keep me down here, Plato. Goofy eye. <laughs> yeah. So yes, Plato sends Basilbub down the path, and then he's like, "All right, glad we had this talk, champ." And then he he as as he's saying as he's saying that you know with the tone of finality, like he's departing. Aristotle's like, "Whoa, I better get out of here!" And so he skedaddles, and he's yeah. gone when Plato exits the room. But after Plato exits the room, he stops and hesitates. And glances down either end of the hallway as though, you know, he kind of senses that there was a presence there just a moment before. Yeah, he picks up the heat register on the edge of the door. Yeah, something, something. Something tips him off that something suspicious something was, was going on there. Yeah. And so he, uh, it, it, the camera focused on, on his look of, and then, boom, smash cut black. And now we're going to go visit Tucker and Todd. Who are watching cartoons. They are watching cartoons but the thing is is they're not, not it's failing it's ever failuring. since it is failuring to capture ring their attention 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happened. It's scratching their itch. It's not, they're like, Ugh, what is wrong with this show? I, I don't, it's not a very good one today. Let's switch to something else. I suppose other people in there, if anybody's nearby, they hate this cartoon. So they're probably sighing a sigh of relief as the channel has changed. Does it turn into a discussion of what to watch? I think they really quickly just, I think, I think uh, they're going to do the, the channel flick. They're just going to swip, swip, swip. Swip. news something on the news will capture their attention and it's it's peaceful news nobody's shooting at each other so it's not action cool news is it any of the news reporters that we've already established oh it could be la fox and coopist yeah doing there because if i recall it was when la fox and coopist took over a news program that tucker and todd stopped being interested in the news because it wasn't actiony and exciting right yeah that's true so these these two are straight laced and targeting you know, current events in an impartial and relaxed way. They're calm. They deliver the facts. There's no spectacle. So everybody expects them to continue changing the channel, but instead they set down their remote and they're like, huh, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. And we've already gone into stage two. Eventually the boys switch the news and are actually engaged with current events. Lots of these end in question marks because they're supposed to inspire discussion. Are are there any particular events that we want them to be interested in? I was trying to figure out what would be the kind of news which is not actiony and exciting, but I mean, would it be like economic forum stuff? Uh, ec- economic, political, uh, some kind of social thing like I don't know, Mel Gibson. I I suppose that would be socio political. Oh, do we make that the news story? Uh, uh, what's the word when somebody is controversial? Well, just use controversial. A controversial pop figure is buying up. It's kind of funny. This was sort of kind of an older premise, but uh, a pop figure is buying up a social media platform so that he can. Oh, yeah, uh, a in... giga a giga dweeb who's like <laughs> high off of his own self importance is purchasing this social media platform. Yeah. Mm. Do we make a joke of it and we say it's literally the Greek it was Narcissus wasn't a god. He was just a guy who got infected, right? Oh, shit. Narcissus was a hunter. Oh, he was okay. a hunter. Yeah. According to such and such, he rejected all romantic advances, eventually falling in love with his own reflection in a pool of water, staring at it for the remainder of his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that thing would be kind of funny <laughs> if it was a pop star who was literally the Narcissus. He wants everybody to call him Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Marcissus. No, he wants everyone to call him us. Sus. Sus, yeah. That's <laughs> kind of funny. Well, I'm trying to make fun of Ye. It's the last two letters of his name. Us. <laughs> oh, man. I have a theory which you're not going to care about, but I'm so I'm so passionate about it because I think it's clever and good. Lay it on me. Um, so Kanye, a couple of years ago, released an album called Kids See Ghosts. And it was a double album with him and another rapper called Kid Cudi. And my theory is that it wasn't supposed to be a collab album. I think it was supposed to be a Kanye album that Kid Cudi ghost writ for. And so the project album was Kid C Ghosts. But the album got leaked and he had to show that, oh, yeah, we were collabing on this. It's a collab album. I need to take some credit. So it was an album that was actually by Kid but Kanye had to 
had to get some had to get some had to get his name he was going to take all the credit um and then he was about to get ruined and so he got ahead of it by taking half of the credit ah yes the case where sharing credit is actually an act of feigned humility yeah look how good i am i (laughs) credited this other person with doing all the work by letting everyone know that they did some of it and put my stamp of provenance on it okay i'm a musical genius (laughs) genie (laughs) well because that is his netflix he's been making a documentary since he started getting into the music industry he's been paying people to follow him around and they turned it into, I think, a four-part uh, Netflix documentary series called Gene Yes. Wow. Yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was that flexible. I'd kiss my own ass, too. <laughs> it must feel nice. The things he must do to himself. Anyway, Narcissus is a pop star, and he's in the news. Yeah, he's in the news. There, In fact, there's two conflicting news stories. One is about his rampant anti-Semitism, and the other one is how he's <laughs> buying up uh, a media platform. And, and this comes immediately after another rich asshole's purchase of a media platform is stagnating in quagmire because he's like, ah, never mind, I don't want to buy it. And then suddenly the court oh, says you have to. That. I didn't even think about how this is like... Kanye doing like discount Elon moves. That's <laughs> <laughs> all he's doing. Like he's a he's just like a shittier deal for like a shittier platform. That's pretty funny. Like he's just a bigger loser buying shittier Twitter. Shittier Twitter, which everyone already refers to as a right wing. What's he doing? It's already the news already calls it a right wing social media platform. Yeah, I think I think in our little universe, we're going to call it shitter. <laughs> he buys shitter. Yeah, yeah, he's buying shitter because it's the toilet of the Internet. How is is the thing he bought pronounced parlay? Is that how you're supposed to say it? I thought it was supposed to be parlor. Everybody says parlor, but it's about isn't it supposed to be parlay? Like we're talking, we're having we're having a parlay and I, I parlay vous français. <laughs> I don't I don't know, but that's definitely not how, not how you spell parlay. No, is it not? No. Parlez-vous, parler. Because there's an actual parlay, which is, you know, a meeting. It's funny how Wikipedia describes it as an alternative. It's an alt-tech social networking service. As an alt-tech alternative to Twitter, and users include those banned from mainstream social networks or who oppose their moderation policies. Par- oh, yeah, you're right. Parlez-vous. Okay. Now that I wrote that, I'm going to get ads in French again. <laughs> yeah, you are. Hooray. Well, I don't like the word parlor. I don't really? like it either because it sounds like everybody's there getting, you know, tugged off at the parlor at the parlor. <laughs> I mean, they're all tugging each other off over there. So I guess it works. That is really what it is. That's fine. OK, is that now part of the skit? <laughs> yeah, he's it cuts, uh, it cuts to I'm here at the headquarters of Shitter or wait. Yeah, I think I think it'll be uh, it'll we'll we'll switch to the news. Just as a story about some tech tech magnate billionaire purchase is being forced by the court court to purchase shitter, and then it's going to immediately move on to uh, a pop star buying parlors so that he can more easily tug himself and others off. And, and then yeah, and then you have the 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 on the street uh, reporter. I'm here on the location at parlor head not parlor shitter headquarters where. 
And it's everything, it's all censored, and you just hear moans coming from the, the background as everybody is tugging themselves off. Oh, yeah, it's the massage parlor. Yeah, that's fun. Massage parlor, message parlor. Message parlor, that's exactly what it'll be. Yeah. Did, didn't that say message parlor? Oh, uh, yes, we're all getting a message. The message parlor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's the one our universe's Kanye will buy is the message parlor. Our universe's Elon Musk uh, has is being forced by court order to purchase shitter. Okay. Which his purchase of shitter is actually driving up the stock stock price value of the message parlor. Everybody's abandoning the shitter ship. Abandon shit. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. That's the newspaper headline. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think any Tucker and Todd would be interested in this. Yeah, that's true. Until it becomes a mis... Even the message parlor is going to be like vaguely titillating. Oh, but because they're like mature now and grown up, do they make like uh, uh, condescending remarks about like lowbrow humor? Yeah, I think so. They will be... They will be condescending. They'll be highly critical of the story. They've become very pompous. Yeah, they uh, they now think that they're better than those kinds of jokes. And frankly, so do uh, so do LaFox and Koopas who promptly move on to something else. And I think this is and or no, they end the news. And then this is when Tucker and Todd complain that they're all out of news, but they want to know more because you had and a brilliant idea. News. You had an excellent idea. We're going to go with teaching. Yeah, because they're like, you want to know more? Why don't you go to college? And they're like, that's a what an excellent idea. <laughs> <laughs> they start they start bumping their padded elbows together. Oh yeah, they're they basically just like squint and like, and then they just pop out their stupid little <laughs> professor jackets and they go right out the door and they're I on think their I'll way do to just a, that. yeah, they're on their way to a college lecture right now and it's being taught by Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not finished with him either. Is we're taking the frog. we're taking crack shots at several people today. It's definitely Jordan Peterson. Yeah, there's a, I was saying, is he teaching out of the Peterson book, or is he talking? He's going on and on about the indignities of being green. He's somehow I want both, <laughs> and like every once in a while, when he's you know between sobs, he has to point out that people need to clean their room. He just starts bawling. All I'm trying to say is you just need to clean your room. And then, you know, something, something about the postmodernists, <laughs> liberals, and, and women. And it just makes him so sad. <laughs> just blatantly. Well, because, see, the thing is, when my wife puts on an old-fashioned pinhouse dress from the whatever, pinhouse is not a thing. I don't know how to say things. Pin up is what I was trying to come up with. There you go. <laughs> Old timey housewife attire. You don't see me complaining. <laughs> oh, boy. So there we are, sat in the audience, looking at each other, arms crossed, shaking our heads like, nah, this this isn't any good. So I think we're going to have to go up there and just push him out of the way. And the, the sheer the mere act of us shoving him out of there already sparks up a round of applause. Yeah, I was imagining like one of us like with the chest out, just like bumping our chest into him, like literally chesting him out of the out of the room while the other one's like clapping at him like a dog. Like, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> like literally trying to get him to sh to shoo. Oh, shit. What was that Russian cartoon? 
that Russian cartoon? that Russian cartoon loop. That's that's all I'm thinking about now of us walking onto the stage. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. Doctor Livesey, Livesey. Well, uh... Doctor Livesey. Yeah. This one. Oh, yeah, chest out. Yeah, and we just we just knock him out of there. <laughs> Brothers out the door, out a window, whatever. Oh my gosh, that's for later. That's awesome. Funk walk. It's awesome. The full version of it. It's so great. I love that music. Okay, but in our we are yes, now we we shove him off the stage though. and we earn ourselves a standing ovation. And we're like, wow, this is much easier than I thought. We had, we've only just started. <laughs> and then I guess I guess we need to be able to state at least like the opening sentence of a premise before we smash cut to something else because I don't want to actually write a whole lecture. No, but if it's a Todd talk, what would the topic be? Oh, I mean, it could be well, on time I know. Tucker, Tucker and Todd kind of look at each other. Tucker pulls his shirt colors like, uh, hmm, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure what to do. And Todd, Todd is just, he's confident. He's suddenly in his element. Don't worry, buddy. I got this. I'll take us away. And then, and then Todd leads that discussion. Tuck, Tucker will warm into it, but he's, Todd has the premise. So whatever he says, it's enough to quiet the audience and and get Tucker looking engaged. And then we can immediately cut to probably them watching Jeopardy. One, uh, Yeah, one of those draw in the audience kind of like questions like, have you ever been a something something? And yeah, like, yeah, that kind of thing. And then it cross dissolves. Yeah, it's just something something fairly simple, but sounds profound. One of those one of those TED talk opener buzzword sentences after all this is the very first todd talk yeah they gotta ooh, they gotta start somewhere yeah and then yeah we can we can then kind of cross dissolve out of there and there we are the boys are watching jeopardy and it's is if anybody else is around they're probably baffled by us being actually good at general trivia so do we we cut straight from the lecture hall to jeopardy or do we don't show us like coming home and Declaring, wow, what a successful day. Just, I no. guess that actually it is useful just to jump over all of that. Yeah, I uh, I think I think it could cut into, you know, actually Jeopardy, not not us watching Jeopardy, but cut to Jeopardy and then have the, the camera back off of the TV to show us watching it kind of scene. I mean, I guess in that case, we could we could demonstrate. Oh, fuck we, it. We no, we're participating in Jeopardy. Right. Oh, on the. Yeah, on the fuck watching it. Okay, then here's the joke, because I was about to set up, like, just use a line. So first of all, we demonstrate exactly how engaged and engrossed everyone has been in our lecture by doing a thing where it's a six hours late, six hours late to L. Ah, yeah, okay. And then we're doing, and we're still talking, and everyone's still there. Like everyone's still like hanging on everywhere. More people are there. Nobody, yeah, more people, and nobody's sleeping standing room only people are packed outside trying to get in and we look down and we're like oh my god we got to get home jeopardy is going to be starting any minute now we got to get out of here and you think and, they're yeah, trying to get and, home for jeopardy but and yeah we give the we give the appearance of leaving to go watch jeopardy yeah. now. now we're on it we're participants and and then yes yeah, so <laughs> by the, show... the end of the show alex is dead i'm hosting <laughs> it you're winning every round <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's gonna show us well, no, it's going to show the, the Jeopardy screen and somebody other than us selects a category so that we can. It, it's oh, a yeah. surprise reveal of us. 
are we oh, competing against each other or are we once are we like one single <laughs> entry as a contestant? We're always side by side. Yeah, like am I sitting on the podium while you stand behind it or what? Hmm. I mean that could be the joke where like I buzz in and every answer I say, you say it in unison, and it turns into them getting frustrated and annoyed by like you're really gonna have to stop doing that. <laughs> Because on the one hand, it would be funny if we were competing and we had the exact same number value for money, oh, yeah. for winnings. But it would it would also be funny if we were still a perfect team and competing as one individual. And I think that would be the funnier choice. So I want to go with that one. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah, it's funnier if if uh, we're just kind of taking turns playing with the same buzzer. Somehow we talked our way into this. Normally, this would never be allowed, but they made an exception for us. Yeah, somebody somebody calls in the category, gets the answer, and then one of us buzzes in, and then the the camera's going to swivel to us, and we give a perfect question as, of course, the answer. Oh, yeah, in a big, full sentences, dictionary definitions. But yeah, the, since, since Jeopardy is they give you an answer, and you then have to ask the appropriate question. So That's the best possible question. Yeah, yeah, we just, like, who is... Leroy Jenkins, whatever it is, it'll it'll be appropriate for the for the the scene. It'll be a complex thing, something that Tucker and Todd shouldn't know, but they do probably has to do with somebody winning the Nobel Prize in physics. The discovery of this subatomic particle was the the reason that such and such a person not. I suppose you don't name him, do you? The reason that who won this Nobel Prize? Then we get to say it was Hank Pym. And where do we go from there? From there, we go to I'm gonna I'm gonna call it our villainous underground layer complex. We're immediately villains after that. Well, we've been going in leaps and bounds. I don't know if we're immediately villains, but we have an underground complex. I haven't uh, I haven't quite decided what the tipping point is for our villainous turn, but somewhere in there we yeah, kind one, of one second pause for a second. Pause. Give me a minute. Yeah, give me a minute. Are you dying? Okay. Coming. Let us try to do this. What? I just got, I said, let us try to do this. Right on. Got hit by a pretty massive headache. But let us charge forward. Where were we? We have a layer now. Yes. We go from us earning yet another standing ovation on Jeopardy. I'm going to assume this episode at least has a studio audience in it. You mean that this episode of Jeopardy has a studio audience? Yes. Yes, yeah. so many of whom might have been watching our lecture earlier, but we, we earn ourselves another standing ovation. We look to each other, give each other a winning smile, and then do another cross-dissolve to that same smile of us working in some kind of fancy, looking-like-Tony-Stark machine shop. Mm. We've now graduated beyond simply lecturing and then winning a couple of bucks on Jeopardy. We spent that money right away and invested it in a layer in a facility so should we do a montage or should we just ding magic just ding magic oh uh, i was gonna say actually because if we just finished uh i know jeopardy doesn't really have game show type music but i feel like if we just want a game we could have that and the 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 what's it called the fading ovation applause could turn into uh, a villain montage with that music playing over us starting up our villainy enterprise. I, 
I definitely want to start up the enterprise. I haven't yet decided, and I'm hoping you may might have an idea as to what it is that turns our enterprise towards villainy. Because we basically get it in our minds to take over the world. Because we're so advanced, we're so developed that we want to fix all of humanity. And eventually right. the number one obstacle between us fixing humanity is free will. <laughs> and so we're trying to strip people of that. We've determined yes. that they need to surrender it to us. Pretty much. Just the ultimate in patronism. Or mat- matrimism. I'm the mommy now. <laughs> I was also oh, maybe thinking that's that what Todd, inspires it then. I was also thinking that Todd could have a little scene in which he walks down the street and he flashes a, a smile and like a finger gun at a couple of, of mummies. And instead of him being the one who melts, they melt. Just the tables have turned. So first he has to become a mommy. So maybe we can fade from the the Jeopardy into we're using Ikea. We have Ikea packets and we're setting up our lair. That's what we're we're smiling at each other over is we're we're moving into our lair and getting it set up. And that's when all of our crew comes in to have that intervention moment of the last moment of like, you guys, what's happening? You and haven't written when... anything in a while. <laughs> and then that's when mom tries to put her foot down. And that's when we go then, no, out of here. Oh, I'm the mom now. And that's what propels it into. So, so mommy, her mom herself makes an appearance again. Yeah. Tries to tell us to, I suppose Plato or not Plato, Columba would be rather concerned at this point and would take the, the mom form and come to intervene because we are causing a bit of a stir. Yeah. Cause you didn't, didn't you propose? Yeah. That... Columbo, Columbo has been the one who's been limiting us all this time after all. Right. So he he almost certainly has some kind of system in place to tell us when the limiting isn't isn't happening if something goes wrong. And so that's why mom has arrived. We've already we've already kind of told Columbo to get lost so he doesn't show up as Columbo. He shows up as mom. Right. And maybe that's a surprise. Maybe the first couple members of the crew try to sway us and we're like, no, no, no. And that's when either she steps forward and speaks or somebody says, oh, there's someone here to see you. Yeah, I, th- I think I think mom just steps forward and speaks. Yeah, we've already established her as being quite uh, no nonsense. She introduces herself. Nobody speaks for her. So she steps in and yeah, tries to put her foot down. And now we've become defiant and independent. And we say, no, we have none of it. How dare you defy us? How dare you defy me? Yeah, she's like, how dare you defy me? And we're like, how dare you defy us? Get out. Get out of here. Shoot. And then I guess we grab a broom and shoo mom out of there. And then Todd says, I'm the mommy now. <laughs> Does Tucker give him a look of like fear? Yeah, I think everybody cringes at Tucker. <laughs> everybody cringes at Todd. Sorry. Everybody cringes at Todd when he says that. Tucker's like, Ugh. and then, yes, they shut everybody else out of their lair. And they're like, that's it. I've had enough. The entire world is going to listen to us. Nobody will defy us again. And so... Now we reach the second half of the episode where we now go full villain. With matronly intentions. <laughs> Matronism intentions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I envision a uh, gender swap for Todd, but if he wants to, I'm not going to stand in his way. I mean, when I was describing that moment earlier, I was imagining some form of like a, tra- a transformation. He has gender swapped at least twice before. That's true. He, he does look good thing. in a dress. <laughs> <sighs> so, 
As long as it's not like now. Craig Ferguson in a dress where he actually makes people angry. I don't was that from the Drew Carey show or are you talking about someone else? I was talking about his uh a story he was telling in his stand up special. I think because wasn't his character in the Drew Carey show. Did you ever watch that show? Only a couple of times. Oh, it was one of my favorites. My brother and I watched the hell out of the Drew Carey show. It was so he was so stupid, Drew Carey, but that show as just like a half hour sitcom was so good. Craig Ferguson is his like boss. <laughs> I think he was a cross dresser. There's a whole episode where they like reenact Rocky Horror Picture Show versus Priscilla, Goddess of the Nile, or whatever it's called. <laughs> well, he did catch a bit of heat for being a for playing a cross dresser. So in this instance, Todd would not be a cross dresser. He would be no. actually a, adopting that aspect into his identity. Yeah, he's becoming the mommy. Yes, he's embracing his momminess. Yeah, he's going. Um, He's going full, full Bates. Bates. Kathy Bates? No, like America, like uh, Psycho Bates. Oh, 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 okay. Where he uh, adopts a persona of his own mother and murders people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His his mother's overbearing nature wounds up just like manifesting as an entirely new uh, aspect of his personality. Yeah. Mother. Well, that's when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danzig shows up. Yeah. You're in the wrong skit, Danzig. <laughs> so yeah, I'm. I, that would be just fine as a uh, sort of villainous turn oh, from yeah, Todd to start manifesting the overbearing inner mommy. That's fun. Instead of the setting up the villainous enterprise, it's the um, ascending to world domination montage with Mother by Danzig playing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as I've got it written here, uh, T- Tucker's role is uh, pretty well defined. He becomes a titan of industry and, and cybernetics and stuff, all because he saw Annabelle's gun hand and it's just stuck with him. He's, he's Yeah, he's coveted it. Oh, he's coveted the shit out of it. And now he's crafted his own. He's He's got his own body all cyber, cyber geared up. Guy practically looks like Adam Smasher. Tucker's got, he's probably got like an exoskeleton and everything. Todd, on the other hand, is currently, he's uh, taking over like education, but it, it goes all the way into indoctrination. Taking yeah. Todd, taking Todd talks to the next level. And I'm wondering if there's a way to spin it with this, this uh, mommy persona that he's manifesting. Bit. Mother knows best stuff. Oh, I'm trying to think of the yawn spin todd talks as a give it a mom spin yeah i'm just because tucker tucker's going full uh cyborg and todd's Mm -hmm. going mommy but like authority figure education caregiver knows what's best for you trying to think of are there tropey or zeitgeisty names for parental pep talks i don't think so Mommy, mon- the mommy monologues. Yeah, I think that's what it'll be. Oh, the monologues. They're just called monologues. Yeah, if you want to, if you want a trope, this one would be the education mama, the education opposite of the open-minded mama. parent, the education mm. mama, a mother, a mother usually, but not always a mother, who is obsessed with their children's education and pushes them to succeed academically no matter the cost. So, education, strong education focus. Not just that, but 
deciding what it is that they're educated in. Yeah, I, w- I was going for um, branding to look for, and I'm I'm happy with monologues. Monologues. <laughs> yeah, monologues. Tune in for a monologue. That is the yeah, that is the branding of the Todd Talk now. Somebody refers to them as Todd Talks, and he gets angry and defensive. They're monologues now. Okay. <laughs> the boss is a bit touchy. Yeah, she is feisty. That's why the viewers love her so much. Does does Todd take this persona off when he comes home, or does it just stay out there? Hmm. I mean, that might be a joke that he at starts being a separate thing, but it starts becoming the identity. Oh, oh, so it it, it kind of starts taking escalate. over. Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing is sort of also happening to Tucker, isn't it? His identity is taking over as well. Well, yeah, definitely the the villainous aspect. He's he's gonna wind up going full machine. He he's in fact taking the opposite journey of Plato, right? An inverse Plato. Yeah, because he's like the flesh is weak, the machine <laughs> is immortal. All that matters is steel. <laughs> All of these things are being declared over a loudspeaker. <laughs> yeah, it's just Tucker talking into the Everybody's loudspeaker. <laughs> All. He's talking to an assembly line that's entirely non-sentient machines. Oh, just the machines, manufacturing yeah. stuff. But it, he's treating it like it's an old-fashioned assembly room floor where you can bark orders at, at people that are building stuff. But they're not alive. The flesh is weak. Only steel is certain. Todd, yeah, Tucker's really bought his own press. He's just, he's just propagandizing to himself. Yeah, pretty much. Whereas Todd is propagandizing to everybody else. But the thing is, is Tucker's inventions are making it so that he can do it everywhere. There are like drones with TV screens and speakers on them everywhere. Every household has like a little butler robot with a TV screen for a head playing, you know, the monologues. Oh, yeah, because obviously we we would be we're still working together. We haven't become driven apart. We still work as a unit almost. Oh, yeah, Uh, we are. We call it the unity for sure. And our uh, our goals are kind of entwined. Yeah, we want to fix humanity. So does that, but so are we, have we gotten to a point where all the fixing that we've done hasn't actually fixed anything? Oh yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely causing a sort of cascading oppression of all of human society. <sighs> Sorry. Um... Although I do think that the best thing we could possibly do is start disagreeing. Hmm. Yeah, so what, what kind of head is this coming to? Now that we've kind of established everything that we're up to. Well, if the objective is to fix humanity, eventually the disagreement is going to have to be about how we intend to fix it. Neither one of us is terribly interested in free will, but Todd wants to basically convert people, whereas Tucker wants to eliminate basically make them into robots. Yeah, effectively (laughs) eliminate them. (laughs) <laughs> are they arguing and the words that they're using to argue are not good points <laughs> like they're they're arguing immaturely but like well i want to turn them into robots well i want to <laughs> take their free will away <laughs> but turning them into robots will take their free will away yeah but then they can't listen to the monologue then they, then they can't choose to have it taken away they can't give it to me <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, then they can't give yeah exactly 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 (laughs) 
Todd what <laughs> Todd can't be the mommy if everybody is a mindless <laughs> slave. Right. I need <laughs> I need I the I need to, to subject them. Yeah. They need to choose me. They need to love me. Poor Todd. He's got a lot of shit. He's just in borderline. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Don't leave me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then Tucker's just like, ah, fuck this place. Uh, robot apocalypse, let's go. <laughs> I love Terminator. Tucker just has no baggage. <laughs> this is a child unleashed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's just Todd, Todd is struggling with his mental illness and Todd, Tucker's just having fun. <sighs> yeah, Tucker's having too much fun. <laughs> he's the id. He, he, yeah, he's going to become like technological pl- progress without restraint, and Todd is going to become basically indoctrination. So, do we cut away from us at this point? Then I think, I think at this point we've we've shown our uh, impact on on like households. So we've got and now announcing the new uh, Tucker Butler five thousand whatever, and it pops out of its box and it's already got a great big smile on its robot TV screen face, which yeah. immediately shifts into a monologue as it enters somebody's home. And then you can show a couple of scenes of people sitting and staring in rapt attention at the monologue on their TV screens on drones outside on their butlers inside. What and is your, you can, uh, what is my, uh, what is your tech company called? Like you're, you're the Steve jobs. Oh, it's obviously technology. Oh, technology. Uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> high tuck. Yeah, it's real high tuck. <clears throat> that's funny. My joke yeah. was going to be tuckle. That it was as far as I got. I like I like technology. That's funny. Applied technology. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Applied Technologies Incorporated. Yeah. And so you got the the Tuck Butler 5000 and the 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 Tuck drone and this that and the other thing. But and then there's like a massive view screen, you know, like the Times Square screen. And then it yeah. just shows the monologue to people standing in Times Square or wherever they happen to be watching. And then it can it shifts to us in the lair watching this with like a really satisfied look. Uh, but then it only lasts for like a few seconds before we both decide that now nah, we can do more. And then that's where we start to disagree about how to do more. We're like we we unleash the the um, the balsa wood model on the table of our like the Tucker and Todd Life Church. I oh, think oh, that yeah. it's... <laughs> <laughs> I brought a diagram. <laughs> oh yeah, well I brought a diorama. <laughs> yes, and then they then they start showing their proposed plans for how to uh, you know ramp things up make them bigger and better and that's when they're like well i i I don't think that's the right idea i think we should do this and then they can share a glance and there we have once again the beginning of descent that that we already kind of a very similar expression to the one we already showed on aristotle oh yeah okay perfect yeah a callback yeah and i think the best way for anybody to beat us is for us to actually beat each other yeah, so how is this episode ending? Are we going to be relimited? Oh yeah. Okay. Big time. Now we've already rebuffed mom. Yep. Now one thing we do have to do is is uh Tucker and Todd need to set their disagreement aside. Todd Todd is a better diplomat 
and says, well, what, we'll worry about that later. But you said you had just finished a new invention because it's time to unveil the magic flight. Oh, literally an alarm goes off. OK, our allotted argument time is over. What were you yeah. going to show me? <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Ah, we'll have to get, we'll have to come back to this later at our oh, next, cause... at our next allotted uh, disagreement time. Because didn't you send me the time management crying meme? Yes. Okay, That yeah, that is what I'm basing that on. Yeah, that sounds perfect. <laughs> because they're they're just ultra-managing every aspect ultra of everything. Ultra-efficient. <laughs> and so it makes perfect sense <laughs> that they would have taken it... Time. Yeah, they would have taken it all the way to that extreme, where even their disagreements have to be <laughs> carefully scheduled. Well, and also, I like that, because it's so tropey for those characters to end up in a, dis- a disagreement and then just to have it immediately <laughs> solved by time management it yeah makes me laugh really hard like it nothing is solved but they're gonna just like eh, we'll just push it aside yeah. it's time for the unveiling i call it the magic flight Ooh, we unveil the magic flight in this episode yes it's our it's our latest invention and this is exactly how we're gonna get aristotle's attention i think is uh is Todd maybe even kind of like not impressed at first? What is it? Another time travel device? Nope. It has no power to travel through time whatsoever, Todd. In fact, it is only good for transport sh- transport through space. Oh, color me intrigued. In- instantaneous transport with absolutely no disruption to the time space continuum. It doesn't it. even it doesn't even require any kind of dimensional rift. Todd is getting all interested. It creates a dimensional rift. It it doesn't. Previous in- instances of uh, transportation like this did, like with Plato's nonsense. This, on the other hand, poses no threat to the you know the stability of local space time whatsoever. Is that when they get a knock on the door and they slam the laptop shut? Oh, do we don't we don't even get to demo it. I'm not sure. I don't know how much we're doing or how far you're going. I know that it comes in later, so I don't know if we do demo it. I think I think we can demo it with um, the same way you always see people demo teleportation devices at the very earliest stages. They like throw a piece of fruit through it or something. Oh, we parody Back to the Future. We send our dog through it. We have a dog. I have a robot dog. <laughs> yeah, a robot dog named Einstein. Yeah. Here. Einstein 2. <laughs> Let me show you. Einstein. Yeah, Einstein 2.0. <laughs> and and so we sh- we I pull out the device I punch in a couple of digits very carefully setting it to the specific file path <laughs> the just where I want to send it to rocket it against the wall it ends up in the wall yeah whoops I guess I I uh, <laughs> miscalculated yeah I should have put a zero where I put a one but that's what these tests are for <laughs> diagonally yeah that's exactly what happens the first time this is this is still just a prototype. There might be some kinks in it, but it allows us to make use of the underlying fabric of our own material reality to teleport around through it. Oh, it does it turns take out us there are to... back channels everywhere? I was going to say, does it take us to an empty mall parking lot? I think that's where it's going to send Einstein. Oh, OK. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it just got, it maybe he's not it Detroit. He's just, he's just sent to Detroit. Yeah, that's OK. <laughs> there's there's all of the jokes that we wanted to do at the same time. Yeah, he's just we just put him in. He's like gone, and, and then just Tucker's there now. Like, oh, well, that wasn't supposed <laughs> to happen. Todd's like, "Where's Einstein?" I uh, he I, I have display. no idea. I guess. Oh, I see now. 
I wrote one zero when I should have wrote zero one. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll find him later. It doesn't matter. Anyways, this successful just cast. cuts to the dog in a parking lot. Yeah, c- camera cuts to a parking lot, empty parking lot. Beat a dog appears. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Cut back. <laughs> yeah, he he teleports in about two inches off the ground. So we he lands those two inches and he, and there's the f- landing and then he looks around curious. Beat. And then we immediately smash cut back to Tucker and Todd. Where's Einstein? Oh. I don't know. We'll, we'll find him. Anyways, it, uh, it, this is the... Th- and then that's when we get the knock. We have to oh, actually no. use the device to trigger um, some somebody else's alarm, probably. Because we kind of just used like, the uh, the background software of reality to, to uh, transport Einstein. Yeah. That's somebody at least has got to be monitoring that. And I, I was thinking that doing that would be how we get aristotle's attention oh has oh has he been like he's got a a police scanner yeah i mean all so far all this time he's been over at the uh at the bea the butterfly Mm -hmm. effect agency but they've got all kinds of monitoring stuff and there's no reason to think that he wouldn't have his own kit i mean he was plato's uh apprentice for a long time and plato's like a mischievous super genius inventor Right. Oh, so he's been at the BEA. Is this is this the same guy who was like a hermit in the outside? I've we've done so many Plato, versions of things. Plato was the outside hermit. Right. Aristotle Aristotle took refuge with a less extreme organization that would still allow him to pursue his, you know, personal hobbies. Okay. <sighs> Especially after um after Basilbub's um, you know, rebellion, that whole thing. Aristotle mm-hmm. was painted as one of them, so he couldn't go back to heaven. So that left the only bureaucracy left for him to join being the BEA. So he's the one showing up because he noticed a blip on his monitors? Yeah. I'm thinking he's going to help Plato with our relimiting. He's going to help Plato with our relimiting. Not Plato. Columbo. Columbo, yeah, because we still think, Pardon. yeah. Yes, Plato's not our friend. No, but we think he is, obviously. Yes, we think he is. And in fact, now that there's a knock on our door, we should show Aristotle very briefly before immediately smash cutting to whatever Plato's doing. Oh, there's a knock on the door. Oh, do we even see him or do we just it's the thing where it's the camera outside and it sees our reaction, but we don't know what they're reacting to. So there's a knock at the door. We react, look at the door and then immediate smash cut. We don't even reveal who's at the door just yet. And then later... When we come back to that, the scene will be us opening the door. Oh, okay. So we don't we don't reveal Aristotle yet. We we do the sudden tension and then cliffhanger and ha ha. Now you have to wait. Okay. But we can immediately smash cut to a very similar adjacent scene of Plato knocking on somebody's door and somebody that definitely isn't us answering because Plato needs to be tracking down some of those NFTs. Right. And I was thinking he, yeah, he needs to get his hands on at least one. To make the wheel work. Yeah. So do you, do you have any idea which of the many possible NFT ideas he could be collecting and from whom? Because now the NFTs are no longer the, the journey steps. The NFTs can be their own thing, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, exactly. The, some of the, like the supernatural aid, which is one of the pieces of the wheel is its own NFT. Right. And and the wheel itself is sort of the device that's going to be powered by the journey and by the NFTs. Yeah. But the NFTs are their own things. They are separate 
objects. So that, yeah, they can't be anything. We could even find goddamn Sauron's ring. Let me look up. I had started making a list. Where did I put it? Outside callback junk. Because we even went and encountered Gollum. Um, things that when we started doing this new rejiggering of our world, we started coming up with like little bits that we could have floating around in those like Easter eggs in the background. Yep. And so this list includes br- the briefcase from the neighbor. Oh. Uh, the breakfast from Craigslist, the VHS from One More Thing, brown liquor from Detective or the typewriter as Craig's old form. One of those things could be an NFT. The briefcase actually is kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking Plato get gets his hands on a briefcase. He has to do some kind of trade. He hands over a sack that's like dripping with blood. <laughs> Ugh, what's in the sack, Plato? You'll never know. It squirms. Mm, squishes. Squelches. Something in there is squirming and. It screeches. It's Tucker's possum family. I don't know. <laughs> Plato has to make some kind of a deal, but he trades something, maybe a piece of dangerous technology, for a briefcase, the exact same briefcase. And he's going to open it. And of course, it's going to be a gold shine on his face. We never see what's actually inside it. Well, stroke waffle. <laughs> I know that familiar glow. Yeah, that reminds me. How's Annabelle doing? I don't remember even where she is. She was she took one of our limiting pills and she oh, wound right. up in in pajamas in bed watching our favorite cartoon munching on stroke waffle. So she took so one pill and ended up as us. Maybe she is just coming off of her limiting then. Might take a little bit longer because her baseline is much much lower than ours. Oh, that demonstrates the true um yeah the the just how powerful we are and how powerful those potency. drugs are yeah i mean they affected her right away <laughs> so she's still in her her onesie watching her itchy and scratchy somewhere yeah i think so or is she now watching whatever the todd brand is she's watching a mom oh log. shit you're right even in space it's playing <laughs> yeah of course we <laughs> colonized everything <laughs> <laughs> can't escape the monologue space okay so we we've got a quick cutaway of plato he's trading something for a, a briefcase he opens it up looks inside he's got this golden glow on his face he's he smiles he grins and then i suppose we can immediately juxtapose that to a grin on the maybe it's todd's grin on the tv screen as he's given a monologue Oh, yeah, that's nice. And then we showed that it's playing on every single TV screen in the ship. And then we immediately showed that it, it, it even even Annabelle is watching it, still eating stroke waffle. Her quarters is now completely full of empty stroke waffle boxes. <laughs> so actually, she's peeking out from or over or in like a, <laughs> a fortress made out of the boxes. Waffle fort. Yeah, it's just. It was garbage, and now it's just she lives there. <laughs> I've sunk that low. Speaking of Einstein in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> we catch up with him. <laughs> just momentarily. We spend several minutes following him around in Detroit. Yeah. I, and then flashback to whatever else. Yeah, I suppose maybe we can show that even Einstein is watching one of these oh. monitors. 
He's at the pound. Okay, yeah, he's in the pound, pound and, and the people who run the pound are, are sitting at their stereotypical warden desk. Yeah. Right outside the jail cell with a big uh, ring of keys on their belt <laughs> with their feet up on the desk and they're watching the monologue. Actually, yeah, that's how Einstein is able to orchestrate a breakout. Is they're all distracted? The dogs line up and like use a long straw to. Oh yeah, pull, pull the keys away or whatever. I mean, Einstein gag. is a robot. He's yeah, probably maybe he's, oh, he's got like got an extendy ex- arm. Yeah, like a little extendy paw, some something. And go go Einstein tail. That's that's exactly how we realize that uh, we need to do more with Todd's approach or Tucker's approach. It's not working on dogs. <laughs> it's not working on robot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Einstein gets out of there no trouble. So yeah, we get a little brief cutaway of just like Einstein getting locked up at the pound. The pound Einstein's guard is out. yeah. Pound guard is very distracted. Einstein escapes. Pound guard doesn't even notice. And then we can immediately shift back because let's say that um, Einstein walks out like the front door and the front door closes with the camera still on the inside of the building. So the door shuts and then it immediately smash cuts to our door that Aristotle is knocking on, which we then open. And there is Aristotle. Um, I got distracted by Windows Defender. Uh, <laughs> what was what was opening? I heard something okay, opens and then uh, there was Aristotle. Einstein is walking right out the front door to the pound. Right. And the door closes behind him with the camera still on the inside of the building. So the door closes right in front of it. And I was thinking that was an immediate smash cut transition to our door that Aristotle was just knocking on and us opening it. Oh, perfect. Okay, yeah, that's fun. I'm thinking interior. So we open it and there we look straight at Aristotle standing in the hallway outside of our door. Yeah. How did he get here? This is a secure facility. Hmm. How the hell did you get here? Tucker asks. And then Aristotle just like lifts his hand and shows that it's like a, a robotic thing. Oh, that's yeah. like full of key fingers. Because this is not our studio. This is our lair. Yeah. And he just let himself in because he's got like key fingers. He can go right, wherever. Yeah, yeah. Tucker looks at his own hand. He's like, shit, I only went for a gun. <laughs> I need that's key fingers. interesting. He's the key master. Are you the key master? <laughs> it's only zoo well, that's funny because in a couple of weeks we do have the gatekeeper hey is the gatekeeper uh, uh sigourney weaver <laughs> oh yeah i don't see why not back when she was a babe oh and that also for as a little easter i don't know what you would even call that it's a it's an easter egg she's not she's nonplussed by uh colombo being an ancient god because she's the warden of the ancient gods Oh, yeah, especially or, because... I'm thinking of Cabin in the Woods, whatever her role was. Oh, yeah, she was uh, she was facilitating keeping them asleep. Right. She was the boss. I guess she was their warden, keeping them imprisoned, more or less. Yeah. With those awful CG hands at the end. Yeah. I wonder what they were doing with them down there all this time. They were in the message parlor. <laughs> <laughs> Hands like that are only good for tugging <laughs> off your friends. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Uh, all right. So Aristotle makes it clear that he can get in anywhere. And then he demonstrates that he probably knows how to use something like our magic flight. He doesn't have one, but he knows what it is and he knows how it works. 
And he wants to know how we figured out how it works. I don't know. Just made it up. Yeah, just made it up. Just came to me. I suppose that's a moment for Tucker to like stand there and have all the, you know, the math think (laughs) all the math symbols floating around his head as he thinks. The "Eh, the veins bulge. Yeah, it just came to me. I just figured it out. Wasn't that hard. This this reality runs on simple mathematics. I could figure it out. This is probably quite concerning to Aristotle. Yeah, I actually like that. Aristotle, like his brows furrow. It's worse than I feared. Yeah, I want to say that Aristotle makes the same face as Bruce Banner does in Thor Ragnarok when Bruce sees Loki again for the first time. He's like, the last time I saw you, you were trying to kill everyone. Where are you at now? And he says it varies from moment to moment. And the look on yeah. Bruce's face after he says that, that's the face Aristotle makes. Just like this gravely concerned, confused. <laughs> I don't like that at all kind of face. That was a perfect face. Somebody, I heard somebody shitting on Mark Ruffalo recently saying that he's like a boring actor and ruins the Bruce Banner character. What are you talking about? Who's more boring than Bruce Banner? I mean, Bruce Banner. You... <laughs> Bruce Banner is a boring character. That's okay, that's part, what the... that's they were suggesting. Archetype. They were suggesting that they make the Hulk boring, that Mark Ruffalo ruins the Hulk and makes him boring. But no, okay, but Mark Ruffalo doesn't him. actually play the Hulk. He's just the. <laughs> yeah. It just borrows this likeness when it jumps around. <laughs> the Hulk doesn't exist. Yeah, the Hulk's not a real thing. It's just a. Somebody made it with a computer, so he doesn't play the Hulk. The Hulk just plays itself. And also, it doesn't do much. It just, like, roars and smashes stuff, and that's it. If anything, the Hulk is every bit as boring as Bruce Banner in terms of the the (laughs) level of character that he has. (laughs) Is there enough space for him to hide? Nope. Well, then he's fighting. Yeah. (laughs) Kenny Bruce Banner? No, no, then he then must he's Hulk. Hulking. <laughs> Bruce Banner maths his way out of a problem. Hulk smacks his way out of a problem. Okay, but now we're talking about Aristotle in yeah, the belly Aristotle, of the beast. Aristotle makes his face. He's deeply concerned. But we have we have done the cross at the return threshold. We've got the magic flight. Aristotle uh, introduces himself and says, "I I think." I think you've met my old my old friend. Play actually does he does he tell us this right away or is he a secretive? Yeah, I was. Would it be more fun because we as True. the audience have seen Plato and Aristotle together? Yeah. But it would be fun if we've let enough time to go by that maybe some people can forget about that a little bit. And it's not until we catch up with Plato in some sense that he goes, Aristotle, what are you doing here? Oh, Plato's gonna catch up with us. Yeah, and then he's kind of like thrown off a little bit and has to like has a moment of breaking character as like a surprise a wrench is thrown into his plan. Oh, I got a I think I have a better idea. Okay. Once again, Aristotle's going to escape just before Plato arrives and Plato's going to make the exact oh, same sort of suspicious notice that he was there. Expression he's going to What's what's wrong, Plato? Nothing. Uh, something just seemed I like that. It's familiar. A familiar feeling. Never yeah. mind. <clears throat> yeah, Aristotle's like one step ahead of him. That's but way better. I, it's like one half step. Yeah, just ahead. But yeah, and and uh, then it's another callback to that scene. So they're re- rehashing old steps. And so, so yeah, Aristotle will will ask Aristotle who he is, and he's like, "I'm sure you'll find out soon enough." But I have to go. 
stop playing with that thing right there. And then he's out of there. <laughs> and then Plato arrives. And then Plato and then, arrives. And then so do we tell him any of what we just learned? We trust Plato. Yeah. Even in our super smart form, he's probably quite supportive. So I, I guess we trust him enough to tell him. So, yeah, I guess we tell him some weird guy with keys for fingers was just here. Hmm. And will that strike off? Probably not. He it's been a long time since he's before. seen Aristotle's fingers. Yeah. They might be brand new keys anyway. Well, no matter. I had something to show you. Yes. He pulls in a briefcase. Do we look at it alarmed? That is our briefcase. <laughs> Tucker. Hey, that's a nice briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because we're not quite Tucker and Todd right now. No, I guess we are the Tucker Tucker and Todd aren't here right now. <laughs> Please leave a message. <laughs> this is the machine and the mommy. Tucker and mom. I'm trying to make it where I can't think of anything. No, it's mom and the machine. Mom and the machine. Or sitcom. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it plays in between momologues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really cornered the market. Yeah. I'm really curious about what Queen Bay is doing right now. Oh, we've probably we've probably nipped that in the bud. I can't even remember what the when the last we saw her a couple episodes ago. She's the one who gave us. No, she isn't the one who gave us supernatural aid, but she did say it was super important. Mm-hmm. We got a meeting with the goddess. She was one of the spokes on the wheel. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about that. She's just been letting us get away with this like or are we in, did we convince her? We convinced her that this was a campaign of improvement. Do we convince her? Does she even dare to try to stop us? Or do we preemptively do something to shut her down? Huh. Something or maybe maybe all of our I mean, Tucker is a super machinist and cyberneticist now. Right. Maybe this stuff actually works on angels as well as it does on humans. And she's indoctrinated. Right. It shows Queen Bay. She's watching a monologue. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Eating okay, stroke okay. waffle. So it works on her. Yeah, it works. And she's eating stroke waffle. Okay. Somehow, maybe we limited her. I don't know. But yeah, it it's working. Queen Bay is into it. Well, because she's a machine, also. Yes. So she can easily easily be hacked. Yes, she's um in in some ways she's a more sophisticated machine than Basilbub was. But in other ways, she's got a lot less of that sort of free will that was what allowed him to rebel. Right. So she doesn't have uh, enough of a will to break free from that kind of thing. So she's much more easily hacked. But does she play into the story at all or do we just cut away to her at some point? I think we just have to cut away to her at some point to make sure to show that she's a, a non-issue. It just like shows in her palace that she's... She's watching a monologue. Oh, I guess it could. We, we could be talking about one of our plans and then Todd can express. But what if Queen Bay and then it cuts to Queen Bay all easily sedated or whatever. And it cuts back to them and it, they laugh uproariously. And Tucker's like, yeah, I don't think you got to worry about what that. Are we th yeah, exactly. Perfect. But Plato is there. He shows us the briefcase. We're impressed by the briefcase. But what's it for? And he says, don't worry, boys. I've just got a project brewing a new one. You're going to love it. And then I guess he's out of there. And then another another bell goes off because we're we're now back into our scheduled arguing time. Oh, perfect. Excellent timing. And we just jump back right into where we were. Ah, wonderful. You fool. <laughs> <laughs> that'll <laughs> never what we throw our coffee cup at each other. 
Yeah, dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately pick it back up, just like angry. You fool, flip over the table with the diorama. Ah, I worked on that for 15 minutes. You didn't work on anything. Well, I had robots work on it for me for 15 minutes. You want to turn everybody into brainless slaves. I want them to have brains and be slaves. Where does it go, though? Well, they're going to have to start arguing and pushing each other around and breaking stuff. And then they're going to have to start kind of taking stuff offline accidentally. At the very least, they need to be distracted enough for Columbo to sneak in. Columbo sneak then? Yeah, they're they're Tucker and Todd are in a lab that's full of buttons and levers and stuff for them to push each other into to deactivate this or activate that. Okay, okay, okay. So there's there's oh, also they opportunities for a couple of like stuff. yeah, so there's some opportunities from like really bizarre elaborate Rube Goldberg like death machines to start activating <laughs> at random and for like TV screens to start showing something else. At a certain point Todd just starts unplugging Tucker's machines. Well, how about this? Yeah, like they start getting <laughs> petty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was Einstein's food bowl. <laughs> He's not even here. He's not even a real dog. (gasps) (laughs) Gasp. You take that back. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're right. I went too far. And it's like, I was just kidding, you you simpering, sentimental idiot. (laughs) Dog simp. Robot dog simp. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, they start pushing each other around and start deactivating their own security systems by accident. All the doors on their lair open up, and then we get to see in the background Columbo sneaking in with a pill vial. Oh, nice! So yeah, we're we're shoving each other around, and then I suppose in uh, in a moment of distracted weakness, that's the perfect opportunity for us to both be chloroformed or like electrocuted or something. <laughs> chloroformed made me laugh so hard just because it was so frequent in Tin Tin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Tintin, I th- Tintin was uh, all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Tintin is the reason that it's so strongly embedded in the in like pop culture consciousness Purely, as a means yeah. of dispatch. You wrap that cloth around someone's face and they're gone. Yeah, it's I think Tintin codified it. How everybody thinks chloroform works. It doesn't. It doesn't. Is that a sketch? I feel like that's a sketch. Somebody tries to chloroform a guy and he just turns around and punches him in the face. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you do when somebody holds something over to your face? Do you immediately try to inhale it? No! (laughs) (laughs) And even if you do, does it instantaneously knock you out? Did they super carefully create a dosage based on your weight? Super concentrated. and, Mm -hmm. and, And make sure that it's held over your face for a prolonged period of time so that you take in enough of it? No? Well, then you just hit him in the face with a hammer, which turns out to be much more effective at making people not do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a better story later, too. Yeah, so maybe Tucker and Todd actually do need to be, like, tased or maybe, like, Ace Ventura-style darts in the neck. Oh, I like that, yeah. Like, they're arguing... They grab each other. They're like, they're "Why can't? Why are you like this?" Thunk, thunk, darts in the <laughs> neck. Okay, so play. Columbo isn't carrying a pill bottle. He's carrying a little blowgun. Nice. <laughs> He's using the distraction. 
blowguns us both in the neck and we're like, and then we start slowing down. He's just dosed us with a concentrated dose of the limiting solution. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So it's it's actually a double dose more than we normally take. So it doesn't just sedate us. It knocks us the fuck out. We're going to have to come to and and mom is there for for no reason. Tucker is not a cyborg anymore. (laughs) Does he look down at a regular regular arm and just starts wailing? Yeah. Do do we remember what we've been through? Probably not. But I have a feeling that Tucker would feel a profound loss. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know why. But he's like, for some reason, my left hand is just so inadequate. He's just looking at it and calling it names. Stupid. Fucking <laughs> hate this thing. Useless. Fingers and meat. I hate it. And so do we have some reference that like mom is handing a pill bottle to Jay and saying this should be this should keep them back to normal. Everything should be back the way it was or something like that. Yeah, I I think I think we'll slowly start coming to. And then on one side of the room, there's mom handing Jay a pill bottle. And then and then. Jay or mom can realize that our eyes are opening and then we get welcomed back. Oh, there they are. Hey there, young princess. It's shocking how fast the world immediately forgets all about us. (laughs) It was just all is forgiven. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're like, yeah, whatever. That was yesterday's news. (laughs) The world moves on quick. Unnotable. It was a crazy couple of days, but the world moves on quick. So we, a new we, uh, celeb- celebrity yeah. jester is trying to outbuy yeah, somebody else is trying to buy the uh, the third platform. Yeah, this one is even more extreme. In fact, it's com. actually extreme left wing yeah. <laughs> where there's extreme no speech left-wing. allowed. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> OK, I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's how you get the the punch in there, is that, yeah. okay, I know you guys think that they're trying to censor you, but also wouldn't maximum version of your thing be censorship? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you've got you've got the mes- message parlor where you can say literally anything, no matter how terrible. <laughs> and the other one where you can't say anything at all. And then we have the alternate extreme where you can't say anything at all, ever. The news just... the news anchors. And now everyone truly is happy. <laughs> yeah, we've got balance isn't somewhere in the middle. It's about having equal amounts of terrible things. <laughs> we truly have learned a lesson. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to let's come up with a, a name really quick for this new platform. Oh, above the massage. Oh, it's something. It's about censorship. Yeah, some some kind of closed door closed book the blank page i don't know i'm trying to work in like a sleep a sleep awake dichotomy language i don't know interesting something to think about for later we got time but what we what we don't have time for is to go on forever about this when freedom freedom of blank but blank freedom of i don't know (laughs) free to express nothing yeah not the right wing would want to freedom of suppression the right, the right wing would want to name everything after freedom. Of course, the other, the left. Hmm, interesting. It's just, it's called Black Lives Matter. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. All right. So Tucker and Todd are now awake. The pill bottle has exchanged hands. It's been refreshed. Then uh, we wake up. Tucker looks at his left hand uh, in confusion and mourning. 
Todd is uh, wondering why he is still in a dress. Oh, he's just, oh, is he still in a dress? Or he's looking for his phantom limbs? Yeah, maybe he's looking for his dress. Still kind of walking like he's in two-inch heels. And he, he's patting at his pecs. Mm. Like the like the raccoon who lost his cotton candy. <laughs> so there's there's like some vestigial element of our our villainous personalities that are now suppressed, but they're still kind of poking out. Yeah. So it's not even really us. It's more like an alternate self. Right. So to- Todd is hosted to two people. Tucker is host to a person and a, an evil machine. But we uh, we rise up and uh, we say we uh, we we're gonna, we're gonna go watch some TV. We we wander they put on over. The news for us. No, we we go. We wander over. We turn it on, and simultaneously ah, we go. Ugh, news. I see your line here. Yeah. Everybody sighs with relief in the exact <laughs> same way they sighed with relief when we previously turned off the <sighs> cartoons. Yeah. Because everybody sighed with relief when we turned off the cartoons because they hate them. Now the cartoons and, are welcome. And once again, we bookend it. Yeah, exactly. Well done. The bookend season. Yeah, like we're real writers. So yes, everybody sighs in relief as we turn on our, our cartoons. And then there we are munching on Stroke Waffle and watching cartoons. And maybe this is an opportunity for a really brief either uh, outro or post credits where just as we're picking up this rogue waffle, Annabelle's finally putting it down. Oh, I like that, and, yeah. And starting to get dressed. She's still a bit groggy. She looks like she hasn't slept in like three days. She's got bags under her eyes, but she's she's coming around. Oh, you do the thing where her crew has become... Oh, right, her crew... I was going to say her crew has become kind of used to not being under her boot, but they were all distracted by monologues for the longest time. But I was going to say maybe they do kind of like a... Uh, Captain... Like, they're not sure if she's quite back to normal. Kink in the neck, trying to f- get a feel of where she's at. Oh, yeah. Probably just some kind of slight caution. Not sure what to expect. Agey. After all, she's probably ha- she probably has a track record of being, like, highly unpredictable. So everybody's and on eggshells now that she's looking like she's clearly hungover. She's hungover, but she does kind of, like, a, a, res- a resigned exhale that sh- says, like, okay... Now we're we're getting back to business. Fetch me my my boots, my business boots. Oh yeah, she she summons her cabin boy. Yeah, bring me my boots. And then and then she's like she has to like grunt tiredly as she puts her boots on. She's not <sighs> quite she's not quite hundred <laughs> percent. So, so it's a little bit of an effort. I've been that way putting putting on my boots while hungover. What, you bend down a little too far and your stomach turns. Oh yeah. <laughs> Or it's just a little bit too much effort and your balance isn't quite good enough. You need to sit down and it's still just, uh, everything is hard. There. Yeah, Everything is hard. That's how she is. Perfect. And so she slips on her boots, lets out that exhale and says, all right, let's do this. And then, bam, smash cut black. Beautiful. Ooh, another yawn. All right. So we bookended that and Annabelle is now back. One We've introduced episode. Aristotle. We've introduced Aristotle being Plato's apprentice. Right. We've introduced Plato's suspicion and that Aristotle knows about the magic flight. And we've just crossed off uh, atonement with the father. We'll we'll, uh, expand on mom uh, talking to the boys as they wake up. I like that little rise and shine little princes. We can write that in. Just a brief little, you're back, welcome back. 
Did you have a good sleep, etc.? Yeah, something uh, benign, benevolent. Meanwhile, somewhere, Plato scratches off another tick on the list. In his hovel. In his weird spaceship house. <sighs> and and that means we're done. Is his is that spaceship house? Is that on? Is that part of the episode? Is that post credit nah. sequence? Nah. Okay. We can show him that that can be the intro of the next episode. Is showing him uh, self congratulatory, checking off the next couple of boxes on his wheel list. Right. Okay. That would be a good way to start it. And then I suppose he should proceed from there to go get another NFT. On to the next one. Yeah. We are nearing the end. We are rounding the men. So this will be this is episode six. Yes. Podcast episodes. And next. So this became a limiting delimitment. Maybe it's and just now no we're getting limits. No limits. Oh, I like that. Or monologues or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part of the whole episode. And it's all it's all Todd. Not finite tokens. So now we're introducing Gollum. And now we don't need Gollum because now we have Plato and Aristotle to do storytelling. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I, I expect the following episodes to be uh, squished together and heavily rewritten. Well, I think whatever the Gollum bit we had was was very funny. And so now that's just a sketch that we do on our sketch show. Oh, yeah. All of these things get that got removed from the plot. Go are now I, I like I really like the whole Gollum <laughs> obsessed with uh, NFTs and his wife leaves. Him. <laughs> that's such a funny concept to me. <laughs> He, he had yeah. a he had a home and a family and he <laughs> fucked it all up. <laughs> That's how For his precious. What an idiot. The idiot. All right. I have to pee so bad, so I'm going to wrap up the podcast. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening this week. This has been another episode of Snideful, and I was your host, co-host, Todd. I was also a host, co-host, Tucker. Uh, and so we'll catch you in the next one when we're something. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Snidefall. Hosted by Tucker and Todd. Right. I'm Gigi. And I'm Craig. If you'd like, you can send an email to snidefall at gmail.com. Or search Snidefall on social media. Which ones? I don't know. Great. I know that the Instagram account is spelled different. Whose idea was that? I don't know. Classic. I'll just put a link in the description. You can do that? OMG.